Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Hooey! Look at them stars! Oh, no, that's not this. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what that was, you missed Christmas Fest, and I'm sorry, and you should try to come next year. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Beacon. So glad you guys are with us as we continue in our Miracles Happen series. This is week three of the series. And so if you missed the first couple of weeks, I highly encourage you to go back, watch those online. Some really important insights there from uh, Robert, who's our lead pastor. And you'll, you'll want to uh, gather that information as we kind of put this whole series together, uh, especially with week one. In week one, Robert talked about the, the idea that miracles really do happen. That it's not crazy to believe that miracles happen, that in fact, it's reasonable, it's logical, it's even expected that there is a supernatural world, that miracles would happen from what we can actually observe from the, the created world and how things came to be. And so uh, I recommend go back, watch that for sure. Uh, growing up, I believed that miracles happen. Uh, I grew up pretty involved in the church, pretty involved in Christianity, all of that. So, you know, I was taught this as a, as a kid. And my parents growing up, uh, my parents were the youth leaders in my church, and they did this together, which is a little surprising because they also had four little kids, and you would have thought that that would have kind of pulled them away from being able to be so active. They just took a, a slightly different tack. They, they just dragged us along with everything that they did, uh, which was actually a lot of fun for me growing up. I got to go to all these youth conferences and youth retreats, and uh, I, got to hear, I got to hear from speakers from all over the world, and I got to hear story after story after story of people who really saw miracles, people who were, uh, you know, experiencing seeing God with power in their lives. And so I grew up that belie- I grew up believing that miracles do happen, but they just didn't happen to me, right? And there is this this sort of like longing inside. I'm like, "Man, that's really cool that it happened to them, but I want I want my miracle story, you know? Like I want to have those moments where God just shows up with power, where he takes your breath away, where he, you know, he just stirs your heart and you're like, "Yeah, I saw God today," you know? And I don't know if you've ever, you know, felt this way if you've heard people's stories and you've asked like, "God, when when is it my turn? When do I get to see you do something powerful? When when do I get to experience a miracle in, in my life?" And I wonder if, you know, we've been going through the Christmas story. I wonder if there were people who asked that same question 2,000 years ago. You know, we've been looking at the, the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was a letter that was written explaining everything that happened in Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, and it starts with the Christmas story. And you guys might remember how the Christmas story starts in Luke. It always starts with, in the, the days of Caesar Augustus, there was a census, right? You guys remember this from, you know, hearing it read and stuff. Now, that, that's an important note, in the days of Caesar Augustus, because this, this is a landmark in time. So Luke is writing originally to people who would remember this happening. And I wonder if there are people who were reading this, contemporaries of Luke who are reading this saying, oh yeah, I remember that. 
I remember the census. And I was in Jerusalem at the time. That's cool. I might have like brushed past Jesus. Man, I wish I got to be part of the Christmas story. You know, looking at all the, the different people who were on the guest list for that, that first Christmas, wondering, man, I wish I could have been there. See baby Jesus, eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, you know? That'd be so cool. Uh, and I wonder if there are people who, who are asking that same question. And what I want to do today is I want to take a few minutes to just look at the, the guest list for the first Christmas. And I'm going to start off with the, the two kind of most famous guests for Christmas. Who, who are like the... The two that come to mind, there's the the sheep and the camel, uh, no, so not the sheep, uh, the, the, yeah, so the, the wise men, magi, uh, there actually weren't three kings, uh, that's a myth, um, but uh, we don't know the number, there are three gifts, uh, so, uh, so the, the magi, and then who's the other Shepherds, right? These, these are kind of like the, the famous Christmas story guests, the, the shepherds and the magi. And I'm going to call them the outsiders, right? The shepherds, the magi, pony boy. These are the outsiders. And uh, the, the shepherds, they were kind of like social and you know, economic outsiders. These are the guys kind of living up in the hills. They're, they're the nobodies of society. And then, of course, there's the Magi, and they're the political and they're the ethnic outsiders. And they you know, travel from a distant land. They aren't from the people of Israel. And I, really, I believe that God included them in the Christmas story because he, he wanted to demonstrate that Jesus is the savior of the world, right? He's the savior of all nations, all people, all demographics, not just the savior of Israel, not just the savior of the elite and the educated. He's the savior for all people. And so the, the magi and the shepherds, they got included in the Christmas story kind of by, by luck. I mean, like it was God's providence. Like it's not, but for, from their perspective, it's like, well, they just kind of got luck of the draw. They didn't do anything to make themselves like, you know, first pick in dodgeball, right? Uh, and, and I want to start, with them because we have to remember something. When it comes to miracles and these acts of God moving in the world, we have to remember that this is God's story, right? This isn't the shepherd's story. It's not the magi's story. This is, this is the story of Jesus. And it just so happens that their lives for a little while bump up against God's story. And when we talk about you know, expecting miracles or looking for God to move with power, very often, I myself, I just want God to come enter into my story <laughs> and do something powerful to make my life better. But that's not a lot of what we see in scripture. When God moves with power, it's because God, God has his own story that he's telling and that he's working through. And when people get to experience it, it's because their lives bump up against his story. And in keeping that in mind, I think there are actually things that we can do to align ourselves with God's story, to actually uh, position ourselves to maybe see God move with power. And I want to look at a couple of the uh, lesser-known guests from uh, the Christmas story. You guys might uh, remember or be familiar with them. We're going to look at Simeon and Anna. And so if you have a, a Bible, if you want to open up to Luke chapter 2, uh, and we're actually going to begin in verse 25, but Simeon, I'm going to call Simeon, Simeon the Faithful. All right, and Simeon, just to, to give you a, a little context, he was in Jerusalem, and this was shortly after Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus up to Jerusalem. They're going to present him in the temple, 
and there's some like ritual cleansing rites they have to do and everything like that. So they go up to Jerusalem, and that's where they bump into Simeon. In verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That's Jesus. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God. So Simeon, the faithful, he didn't just get to see Jesus. He actually got to take Jesus into his arms and hold him. How cool is that? <laughs> like, how cool to have been Simeon, who was waiting. You know, it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Savior to come. And then he came, and he actually he didn't just get to see it. He got to, to hold Jesus in his hands. And I think this wasn't because Simeon was an outsider. He was randomly selected. I think this was because Simeon was faithful. Right? And we get this, these two descriptions right at the beginning. It says that Simeon was righteous and devout. And I think these are each pictures. They're little snapshots of what it looks like to be faithful. The first is, is righteous. Right? He lived right. He, was just, he lived right. He did what was right. And that means kind of putting off all that bad stuff that we shouldn't be doing and putting on all of, all of the good stuff, the, the generosity, the, the kindness, the loving your enemies and caring for people, you know? And so he, he's putting off and he's putting on and he just lived right. It's this picture of faithfulness. But the, the second one is that he was devout. And this is a, a fascinating word. It's not used very much in the Bible. It's like shows up four times. But when it's used in other Greek literature from the day, the word carries this meaning of being an ideal citizen. So it's saying that, that Simeon was an ideal citizen. But his citizenship, remember, for him, it's, it's not primarily in Israel. He's not just a citizen of Israel. He's not just a citizen of the Roman Empire. He's a citizen of heaven. And scripture calls him the ideal citizen of of heaven. You ever, you ever see those people who you're watching them do their thing and you're like, this is what they were made for, right? You're like watching TV, you're watching like, so you think you can dance and you see these people and you're like, what? And you're like, you were made to do, like you are just in your lane, you know, or, you know, you're watching the voice and you hear people sing and you're like, this is incredible. Like this is, you were made for that. You were the ideal singer. I, growing up, I was a wrestler and I remember this kid, Matt Harrington. He was the best Greco-Roman wrestler I ever saw. All right. He was a four-time national champ. And I, I remember watching him in the national finals. All right. So this is the best guy in the nation against the second best guy in the nation. And he just made it look easy. Like, it's like the two of them planned it in advance. It looked like it was choreographed. It was so smooth and graceful. And he just destroyed the kid. I'm like, wow, you know, like, you are the ideal wrestler. You are just, this, you're in your element right now. This is awesome. This is what you were made for. And, and this is the idea that I get of Simeon. Simeon, he was made for this, right? He was devout. He was in his element. He was just living out this, he was the, the perfect, ideal citizen of heaven. And I, I know you maybe you say, you know, that's great for Simeon, and maybe there are some people that are that way, but I don't know if that's me. But, but the scripture says in, in Ephesians 2, it says that we, we, not, not me, not a couple, we are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. 
right? And so if, you're, if you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are created in Christ and even recreated in him, all right? Your new creation created for good works which God has planned for you to do, all right? This is, this is your element. God has created you to be a citizen of heaven. And you too, that when we figure out how to be faithful, to live in that, that place, live in the kingdom of heaven here on earth as faithful, ideal citizens, that's when we're in our element. We're doing what we were created to do. That's where we, we don't just find peace, but we find that, that thriving, right? This is where Simeon is. He's, he's just this ideal citizen of heaven, living out his calling. And so I, I think for us, if we want to do this, if we want to practically get to this place of, of living faithfully, we can actually follow his example. And we see that if we want to be faithful, the, the key is to let the Spirit do the leading. Right? It says that the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. And one of the, the best things about being a follower of Jesus is you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. <laughs> Don't take that for granted. That the Spirit of God lives in everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, right? And I I 100% believe that. But not every follower of Christ is always being led by the Spirit. A lot of times the the Spirit kind of plays a supporting role. You know, he's the comforter. He's the counselor. uh, But he's not the leader all the time. But for Simeon, he was led by the Spirit. You see that the Spirit was on him, but he was moved by the Spirit. And when he was moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple. Because the Spirit was his leader. And for some of you, you might say, you know, I want to be led by the Spirit. But I, I never have those promptings. You know, you hear about people like they, they get those promptings from the Spirit and they go and do this or they go and do that. And you, you see it with Simeon. He had this prompting from the Spirit to go to the temple. And he, he went. And maybe you've never had that. And, and here's, here's the great news. You don't need a special prompting from the Holy Spirit. Because we have his words All right, this isn't a Bible. This is an iPad. But I have a Bible on it, and that's what I'm pointing to right now. Uh, The the Bible, the Bible is God's word, but it's written by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit put these words, gave them to us. We have a lot of prompts from the Holy Spirit already. We don't actually need any new prompts. It's, It's really cool. You guys, with the Be Rich campaign, when it came to the Give More Money, you guys just knocked it out of the park. Uh, I think we raised like $22,000 plus for the foster care uh, or, organization or whatever here in Nassau County. And so we've been able to support them in a couple of things. And Robert and Cheryl, they actually went to Adoption Day a few weeks ago. I think he, he mentioned it. But when Robert came back, I heard him just kind of talking. He was telling these stories. He was really, really excited and moved by the whole event. And all these, these little stories that he was telling along the way were, were he was just seeing that these are the fingerprints of God. God was actually moving in this, this space. And that, that shouldn't surprise us because the Holy Spirit has prompted all of us through his word to care for orphans and widows. <laughs> so it shouldn't surprise us that when we do that, we actually see God working through these situations. I hear this from uh, our, our disciple makers all the time. You know, they're always nervous because they're busy, you know, it's hard to carve out that time to meet with somebody week after week, and, and sometimes it's messy, but I hear from all the time, once they start doing, they're like, this is amazing. <laughs> Some of them who've, you know, been in ministry for years start doing this and say, this is, this is my new favorite part of ministry, because uh, it's, it's just exciting watching God work in people's lives, and that shouldn't surprise us that God shows up when we are making disciples, because 
that's what he told us to do. He said, go make disciples and I'll be with you. You know, we, we have these promptings from the Holy Spirit and we can actually be led by the Holy Spirit from his word. And so, yes, it means kind of doing these things like caring for orphans and widows and making disciples and loving our enemies, all of that stuff. But it also means putting off, putting off that other stuff. And, and this is where it can become a little tricky because I know for me, I, I'm okay being led by the Spirit, most things. But there's some things that I still want to be the leader, <laughs> you know? And maybe for you, you're like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do the loving and the generous thing, but I'm going to keep my sex life to myself. I'm going to be the leader of that one. <laughs> or, or maybe you're like, you know, I can, I can do the whole, you know, chaste thing and, you know, God honoring with my body. But when it comes to my finances, I'm just going to hold on to these ones. But here's the issue. You, you know what it is. You know what they call somebody who 90% of the time, in 90% of their, their sphere, they are, they're, they're just pros. They, they get the job done. But in, in 10%, they just, they just let you down. It's as if they're not even trying. You know what you call a New York Giant. That's what the... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I know, I know. The Giants are much worse than that. Uh, <laughs> but but here's, the, here's the deal. Uh, that last 10%, that last 10%, that's, that's where games are won, Right? Because you, you look at you know, something like the NFL, they're all pros. They're all amazing, right? But it's in that last 10%. If you can't be reliable in that last 10%, then the whole thing can come crashing down. And when it comes to our, our lives and being led by the Spirit and, and actually our, our holiness and kind of putting off sin, when it comes to that, when we have a, an area of our life where we say, you know what, I'm going to do it my way here, it's not like you know, fumbling the ball right? Because, look, I, I get it. None of us are perfect. I'm not, you know, and sometimes I do. I step in sin. I do. But there's a difference between kind of stepping in it and walking in it, right? And, and when we step in it, that's kind of like fumbling the ball. But when we're walking in sin, we know, you know, the Bible teaches this, but I'm going to do it my own way. It's not like fumbling the ball. It's like in this whole area, we just decided we're going to play for the other team. It's not playing poorly for God's team. It's actually playing well for the other team. It's as if saying, you know, I'm going to play three quarters for God, and this last quarter, I'm going to just I'm going to switch sides and play for the other team. You won't win that way, you know? And that, if, if that's you, you, like, you'll find yourself on the bench, and not just for a week, you know? Like, they aren't going to fire the coach and then bring you back. They'll leave you on the bench. Uh, sorry, I guess there aren't that many Giants fans here. Uh, <laughs> For good reason. Um, but but Simeon, Simeon just didn't, didn't want to be on the bench. He wanted to be in the action. He didn't want to hear other people's stories of God showing up. He didn't want to be content with that. He wanted to be in the midst of the action. And he allowed himself to be led by the Spirit. And he was, he was faithful. And he didn't just get to see Jesus. He got to hold him in his hands. He got to, to be a part of the Christmas story because he was faithful. He was faithful, led by the Spirit. Now, I think faithfulness is essential, but it is not sufficient on its own. And, and you guys know this. So uh, you, you might have friends, uh, you know, uh, this friend who's like awesome, like salt of the earth, solid, like best kind of person in the world. And when you guys get together, there's, you know, you guys mesh and you're always like built up and everything like that and you, you love them. But you also know 
that it's probably going to be like another year before you're able to meet with them because they're just so busy and it's so hard to get together with these people, right? And, and here's the thing is we can be faithful, but if we're not also available, then we're not reliable. And that's where we, we turn to Anna, all right? So jump down. We're going to read about Anna. I'm going to call her Anna the Available in verse 36. It says, there was a, a, a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. All right? Married, lasted seven years, and then she was a widow until she was 84. So it's a good chance she was a widow for like 60 years. She never left the temple, it says. She worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. It says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was available, and she, she found herself. I, I love how it says in verse 38 there, it says that, you know, coming up at that very moment, as if she just, like, happened to be in the right place at the right time, but, but she was in the right place all the time, you know? Like, she was always available. It wasn't just a coincidence that she happened to be there when Jesus got there. She, she positioned herself in a place where she was going to see God. She was available, and, and she was available in two ways. One, she was, she was dialed in, right? So she said she was, she was worshiping, and she was fasting, and she was praying. She, was just, she kept taking her attention, her mind, and kept turning it to God, kept turning it to God. And all that she was doing, she kept turning her attention back to God. She, she wanted to be dialed in so that she could hear what he was saying, so that she could actually, you know, you can't, you can't be led by the Spirit if you can't hear him, you know, if you don't. If you don't get the call, right? And so she was dialing in so that she would be available to what he would have to say to her. And in addition to that, she was discerning. See, when it comes to being available, I know you guys are busy. I get it. It's, it's just the, the world that we live in. And people have been busy Forever. This isn't a new thing. Uh, I know it feels like it keeps getting busier and busier and busier. But when it comes to being available, it, it's not just about clearing your schedule and having like all this time. When it comes to being available, it's being able to discern the good things from the best things, right? Because I know you guys are doing good things, right? But, but sometimes there are better things. And it's, it is really helpful if we can create margin in our lives, but it's not, margin isn't always going to be enough because there's always stuff that's going to come up. There's always those things that, the, the urgent things. Uh, Charles Hummel, he wrote a book called The Tyranny of the Urgent. This is a long quote, but uh, it's a good one. Let me read it for you. It says, when we stop long enough to think about it, we realize that our dilemma goes deeper than shortage of time. It's basically a problem of priorities. Hard work doesn't hurt us. We all know what it is to go full speed for long hours, totally involved in an important task. The resulting weariness is matched by a sense of achievement and joy. Not hard work, but doubt and misgiving produce anxiety as we review a month or a year and become oppressed by the pile of unfinished tasks. We sense uneasily our failure to do what was really important. The winds of other people's demands and uh, out of our own inner compulsions have driven us onto a reef of frustration. And we confess, quite apart from our sins, we don't 
we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and we have left undone those things which we ought to have done. Your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. I think for, for many of us, we, we realize that there are these good, urgent things that are constantly coming up, and discernment is what allows us to say, I know this is good, I know this is urgent, but it's not as important as this thing. And I hear from people all the time, and, and they say, man, I want to I wanna do more. I want to be more. I want to give more. I wanna, and, and there's all this, I could see it. There's a genuine desire to, to be all in, and yet life just keeps getting in the way. Good things, good things, but not the best things. And yes, we can clear out our schedules and create a little margin, but sometimes, sometimes what God is calling you to do, there's not enough margin in the world, right? Sometimes God calls you to do things, even if you have created margin, that push beyond your margin. I, uh, this time last year, Lindsay and I, uh, we had a, a friend, a young woman, who's going through a really hard time financially and career-wise and, and all of that. And I remember being with her and praying with her one, uh, one day and as I was praying, and I was praying that God would show up and just be merciful and kind to her, uh, but as I was praying, I felt the Holy Spirit just saying, you know, Trevor, you're my hands and feet. Why don't you help her? Uh, and so Lindsay and I talked it over, and we decided to give her a financial gift that was way more than we could afford. <laughs> Even as I was, like, recalling the story, I'm like, that's, that's a lot more money than, like, we ever would have done for something like this. Uh, and uh, I, I won't give you the number because some of you will be like, that's not a lot of money. And others will probably think we're more generous than we are. But uh, for us, like, we, we were still able to, like, pay our rent, but, it, you know, it would have meant a lot of ramen for the next several months. Uh, and, and so, uh, but we, we, you know, felt like this was what the Holy Spirit was calling us to do. We didn't have the margin for it, but we, we went and we did it. And before the, the check even was cashed, somebody here at Beacon, who had no idea any of this was going on, felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to give us a gift in the exact same amount as what we gave. And so, like, we already had that before we even had to, like, cash the other check. It was amazing. And it was this moment where God showed up. And I remember talking to this person uh, afterward and just kind of sharing the whole story. And they were saying how it was even months prior that they had felt compelled by, by the Holy Spirit to give this gift at this particular time. All right? So months before the Holy Spirit put it on my heart, he was already putting in motion the, you know, the details to make sure that it would be covered. See, I think, I think sometimes it's, it's actually when God calls us to do those things that we don't have the margin for, that's when he loves to show up and surprise us. That's when he loves to show off just how good and kind and generous. And he, he doesn't do it all the time. Sometimes you'll go out there and you'll you'll you know, put yourself out there and, and that's okay. And God doesn't show up in miraculous ways. And that, that is okay. It's okay to make those sacrifices. He's actually calling us to make those sacrifices. That's good. But sometimes he just loves to show up and show off in those moments. Not, not because we can afford it, not because we, you know, we can, we have the margin for it, but, but because we actually give more than we can, whether it's our time or our money or our resources. He's calling us to be all in for him. See, if, if, you, want, if you want to experience God showing up with power, just throw yourself into what he's doing. <laughs> God's on a mission. 
All right, and he's, he's on an unstoppable mission. Robert talked about just the, the battle that's going on. God is on a, a, on a mission, and he's not going to stop. And, and if you want to see God show up with power, just throw yourself into what he's doing. He's going to keep doing it, and you might get to be a part of it. Not just a, a bystander watching it, you know, wishing, oh, man, I wish I had more time or I wish I had more money. Just do it. <laughs> and we, we have to be careful, all right? Uh, I, I don't want you guys to obsess about the signs either, you know? Uh, and this is, this is kind of dangerous, you know, like we can't just like do crazy things and say, well, God's going to show up uh, anytime now. Uh, you know, like we do the things that he's called us to, but it doesn't mean we just kind of like throw things out there and expect God to show up. We can't, we can't manipulate him into, you know, kind of doing this stuff for us. This is actually, uh, you might remember Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert. And one of the temptations, Satan took him to a tall tower and said, hey, just jump off. If you're the son of God, God will catch you. And Jesus responds, and he says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. It's, uh, you know, he's quoting Deuteronomy, but it's, you know, we don't, we don't want to put God to the test. And in fact, at another point, Jesus uh, is dealing with a crowd, and they're demanding a sign, like, show us a sign. And Jesus actually says to them, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, all right? So these miracles, they they do happen. God does show up with power, but but don't make it about the signs. Don't make it, you know, we can put too much pressure on that. Like it's all about seeing God do some sort of miracle. And maybe he won't, maybe he will. I mean, it's awesome what he does. It's great. But we throw ourselves into his work because it's, it's good. It's worth it. In fact, Jesus sent out his disciples on a short-term mission trip at one point, and they go out, and they come back, and they're rejoicing, it says, because like, they were doing miracles and casting out demons and everything like that, and they're celebrating. And as they come back, Jesus says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. He says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't, don't rejoice because of these, these small little miracles. No, they're, they're just signs. You know, and that's probably the most popular word used in the Bible for a miracle is a sign. And signs, they point to something better, right? The sign is never the point. You don't, like, drive to a town and hang out at the sign. You go somewhere in, you know, the sign is pointing you to something else. And, And all of these little signs, they're pointing us to this real miracle of Christmas and Easter. The The true miracle is that we have been saved, not by what we've done, but because he's just so kind and gracious and generous where he sacrificed his son for us and he raised him again. All of these signs, they, they point to that. And so don't, when, you know, if you get to experience these powerful moments, don't delight in the sign. Delight, let, the, let that sign point you to the, the reality of the gospel and celebrate that. Celebrate that your names are written in heaven. That's so much cooler. <laughs> it is. It is. And this is actually what we see from Simeon as well. He says, Jesus, you know, he holds Jesus in his hands. He says, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. He gets to see Jesus and, and his immediate response is praise God not for this moment, but, but for the salvation that comes from this moment. I think God, he, he really does want to show himself to you with power. I do. And as you make yourself faithful and available and you throw yourself into what he's doing, I, I think we're going to hear stories left and right 
And these stories are so great. They do. They remind us of our salvation. They point us back to Jesus. And it, it gives us that, that energy to keep, keep moving forward. And I just hope that you guys just don't settle for what everybody else is doing. You know, I know you guys are tired. But I also know you don't want to just sit back at the end of your life and be like, man, oh, is that it? <laughs> is that it? There's so much more that God is doing, and he wants you to be a part of it. He does. Let me pray for you. Father, we're, we're just grateful uh, for your salvation. God, that, that's something that nobody can take from us. It's unshakable. And we don't have to wait for, for a sign from you. We already have the resurrection, God. You sent your son to die, and he, he lives, and people saw it, and people talked about it, and that, that has changed history. God, and we pray that it will continue to change us. Pray that we will become faithful, available servants in your kingdom, throwing ourselves into what you're doing. And God, we do pray that you will show up with power, that you'll surprise us. You'll give us those, those little gifts along the way. God, we, we love you, and we trust you with all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us for Christmas Eve services on Saturday, December 23rd at 5 p.m. or 7 p.m or on Sunday, December 24th at 9 a.m. or 10.30. See you soon.